I've seen a lot of bullshit. Angel dust, switchblades, sexually perverse photography exhibits involving tennis rackets. But this suicide thing, I guess that's more on Pauline's wavelength. Well, we're just going to ride off today. And on Friday, she can hold her little love in or whatever. Whatever. So you want to watch a movie, but you don't know which. Choosing the one can be a bitch. But Jared and Drew have perfected the art. So sit back, relax, and trust the dark. It's dark. What's going on, everyone? I'm Drew. And I'm Jared. And welcome to Dartboard Movie Night, the podcast where we put 20 movies on a board, throw a dart at it, and let the fates decide. Today on the show, we're covering a cult classic high school satire featuring teenage performances from two of the 90s' biggest stars. We're discussing 1988's Heathers, starring Winona Ryder and Christian Slater. How are you, Jared? I'm doing good, man. Doing good. Always happy to be chatting with you. And an interesting film, I think, for us to discuss tonight. Yeah. I don't have a strong guess on how you feel about this movie. We've kind of kept our cards in our pre-chat pretty close to the vest. I feel like neither of us has been tipping our hand. So I'm curious. I'm very curious about your thoughts about this movie. I'm excited about talking about it with you. Me too. It's a movie that has been on my radar for a while. It's not one that I had a burning desire to watch. Uh, mm-hmm. mostly because we'll get to my thoughts on, on these two actors, but uh, I, I'm not super well-versed in either of them, I would say. Um, mm. So I didn't have like an immediate pull to the movie. But that being said, I've been aware of it and heard that it's great. So I was kind of I was excited when you put it on the board because it's one that I just wouldn't have thought to put on. With that said, why don't we do a little board review, kind of show where we're at currently with our options. Sounds good. At number one, we've got You Can Count On Me. Number two, Ex Machina. Number three, The Right Stuff. Number four, The Big Sleep. Number five, Operation Condor. Number six, Anomalisa. Number seven, Amadeus. Number eight, Fifth Element. Number nine, Days of Heaven. Number 10, The Limey. Number 11, Tonight's Episode, Heathers. Number 12, The Straight Story. Number 13, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. Number 14, Schindler's List. Number 15, The Friends of Eddie Coyle. Number 16, Dirty Harry. Number 17, The Blair Witch Project. Number 18, Waking Life. Number 19, Face Off. And number 20, The Terminator. The Terminator. What a great 20 name, man. And a pretty good looking list as well. Yeah. You know, it's like, I think when we were initially thinking about number 20 being something that needed to roll off the tongue uh, i was thinking more kind of musicalness to the like sound of the mm-hmm. the words together mm-hmm. but like the mm-hmm. terminator is just fun to say yeah it is and you can throw <laughs> in a little arnold sprinkle if you want if you want to go for you know go for go for an austrian attempt of an of an austrian american accent you know yeah something like that right now yeah. it's 19 to 15 and a half in the overall score and uh yeah you're creeping back in there but uh, we're yeah, hanging in, dude. It's a good game. We're back in the double digits this week. We had a what is it one or two that we got single, and then then we went right back into the double. I think digits it's just again. it was just the sixth sense. I think because Kung Fu Hustle yeah, was before right. that, and that was number twenty. Yeah, I mean, so I'll probably still try to try to aim for single digits again tonight, but um, at least it's not sixteen. You know, we had that goofy streak a while ago where everything was sixteen. So. You know, gets back to one that is a number I don't think we've hit 
11 a ton. Do you have the numbers well, nearby? I mean, Heather's went on the board fairly recently. I can't pinpoint exactly when it was put on, um, mm-hmm. but it, I know it was within the last five or six weeks that you put this on. So maybe we have been hitting 11s to some degree, but... Um, Let's see. Num- number 11, the last time we hit it was Vertigo, which was episode 28. That was an OG, right? Yeah. Was, I think that, yeah, yeah, so that was okay, the first so, time it was hit. This is only the second time. But uh, for now, why don't you give us a little streaming check on Heathers? Where can we watch this movie right now? Streaming check shows it's currently available at time of recording on Amazon Prime, free with subscription. And then there's a couple other offshoots. I got Roku, Tubi, and Vudu. If anyone taps into those, those are being displayed as relevant. And then you can pay to rent on Apple as well, or pay to buy, actually. It's like 10 bucks to buy it. So uh, if you're curious to check this movie out, it's a pretty iconic cult flick, so it should be too hard to track down. And those are the ways you can try to find it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you put this on the board a few weeks ago, as I said. How did this get on the board initially? This is kind of, this is pretty fun one because it's it's one of those like you ever have a movie recommended to you and it just like lays dormant for a long time. This is one of those. So it's a bit of a two-parter. If I was going to guess, I'd say it was pre-pandemic. I got a recommendation. So, you know, friend of the show, artist of the show, Veronica Roman. She has a sister named Victoria. Shout out to Veronica and shout out to Victoria. Victoria and I were chatting about movies. Again, this was probably three, four years ago. And she just mentioned Heathers. She was like, you've got to see this movie. It's great. It's amazing. It's so strange. You'll love it. And I was like, yeah, 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 I'll do it. I'm going to watch that movie. Of course. I just like kind of forgot about it. But it stayed with me. The recommendation. And I did. I wasn't just yeah, yaying her. Like I did intend to take that recommendation seriously. But, you know, the sands of time washed over me and yada, yada, yada. Just recently... I was re-watching the DGA video with the Directors Guild of America, and they had all of the, or at least many, of the Academy Award nominees for that year's Best Picture, and just were kind of doing a panel discussion in front of an audience. And this was the year where Parasite won, and so Bong Joon-ho was there, Quentin Tarantino was on the stage. February 2020. Uh, yeah, so February 2020. And... Taika Waititi was there. He was talking about Jojo Rabbit as he was being asked questions about it. And he mentioned Heathers as an inspiration for one of the one of the film. I don't know if he was talking about a scene or the overall movie. It might have even been a different movie. I don't remember. I'm guessing he's but, probably pointing to the the balance of tones. Yes. Between yeah, like that's the a, that's dark and the comedic. Yes, that's it. I bet that's exactly what it was. That makes a lot of sense. And, you know, he said it in that great Kiwi accent, Heathers. It's like it move the film Heathers. Sounded a little bit like a beetle there. Did it really? Ah, oh, man, I, I was. I, I actually, I embarrassed to admit I practiced it earlier today. Well, I was just well the, back the, when you said the word alone, it sounded great, and then when you put it in a sentence, you sounded like a beetle. It all fell apart. It all <laughs> fell apart. It was my my Lennon McCartney Tyka impression. But kind of, anyway. it was kind of like one of those uh, those impressions <laughs> of the Beatles from Walk Hard, where it's just all of them doing. You got to take the drugs, Dewey. Dude, actually, Walk Hard is, I wouldn't say it's a shamer, but it's certainly a film I've not seen. Wait, what? I saw, I've seen bits of it. I've Dude, seen bits of pieces. Dude, that movie's amazing. Is it really? It's I saw so the Bob Dylan funny. bit. Oh, really man. that's Yeah, that's a classic. Uh, one that I think has gained a lot of respect the longer it's kind of sat with people, and they're just like, man, that movie was fucking funny. Okay, so maybe better. Time has done it some favors. Absolutely. I guess. 
So Taika mentioning it kind of jarred it with me. And I was like, oh, that's right. I was like, that's the movie that Victoria was telling me about years ago. And that's right around the time I put it up on the board. It So it was, it's kind of been incubating for a long time. And it, and I really went in super fresh with this. I had the statement from Victoria and I knew it was going to be strange to some degree. And then I had Taika giving it a shout out. And I was like, okay, I'm going to avoid additional information. I really don't know what I'm getting into here. I did happen to see the Rotten Tomatoes score. That means a shit, but I saw that it was pretty well respected to some degree. And I really didn't even know what genre I was getting in. I just knew to expect expect strangeness. So it was a bit of a blind dartboard nominee in a lot of ways, but I'm super glad we hit it and I'm looking forward to talking about it. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know if you can call that blind because I think it's like a classic dartboard entry in that it's it's gotten recommended by multiple people that you respect and you just gave it a wing, you know, just threw it up. Totally. Total, that's the best. When you have a, a, a personal friend and a filmmaker you admire both recommend the it's like you know it's probably going to be worth seeing at the very least it's like you got taika you got victoria let's give it a go so that that's kind of my history before we rolled into it what you so you said this has been on your radar for a little while right yeah i mean it's just a movie that you know being a film nerd like you know digging into i i think like Again, this you know I've brought this up a number of times, but I had my my fl- film bloggy period, as I would call it, where I just like obsessed over websites like Cinema Blend and and Slash Film, and you know would would read those religiously. Like I would every article that they posted throughout the day, I was reading, um, like in college and you know just fresh just out of college. That era was driven by a lot of writers who were tapped into cult film. So a lot of the times, you know, when you would see these like lists of dark comedies and stuff, this movie would would pop up, um, you know, because that's a regular feature on all those blogs, like top 10 lists and whatnot. It's all bullshit. It's personal opinion, obviously. But, you know, it definitely turned me on to names of these classic cult movies like this. But as I mentioned, you know, Winona Ryder and Christian Slater are not actors that immediately appeal to me. That's not to say that they're they're bad actors by any means. Uh, I just, the, you know, Winona Ryder. Well, we'll we'll get to that when we talk about the actors. But point being, I just didn't have didn't anything. Have the hook. I didn't have a hook exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah you yeah, had yeah, yeah. the Taika hook of like balancing tones. Oh, that's interesting. And you had like you know your friend telling you that it's it's this crazy off the wall shit. I didn't have that kind of perspective. Like I mean, I I you know you read those kind of lists like I'm talking about. And while they give a good pitch on a lot of the movies, you know, there are just some where you're like, oh, yeah, okay, I kind of get what that is, but, you know, maybe not for me. This was kind of one of those movies. Um, and, yeah, I, I, again, like, perfect dartboard entry because it's something I never would think to put on. Nice. I kind of wanted to kick this around with you a little bit about the idea of a cult film. Like, I feel like we hear that a lot. We, it was brought up a lot when we, when you and I discussed Repo Man. Actually, that's mm-hmm. considered a cult classic in a lot of ways. So, my understanding, let me know if you agree with this definition, is like a cult film is a movie that like does not have a lot of success initially when it's released, but garners like a dedicated fan base and then like kind of reemerges years later 
and is viewed as like a classic. Is that how you view cult films? Because that's what I see it as. Definitely. I mean, that's a major component of it. I think the other component is it's almost always uh, like a genre movie. Like like a um, this this movie, I feel like is maybe less of this, but I, I, I guess I'm more talking about like cult horror movies and cult you know sci-fi movies and like comedies like that. Th- those kind of very specific genres that that aren't just like a straight drama. Those are the movies you typically find to be called cult because they're they're things that you know might have gotten disregarded by either critics or um, disregarded by uh, people who maybe were like ah that kind of looks dumb, but then you when you actually watch it you're like oh the dumbness is the point it's kind of fun yeah 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 the, the dumbness is is a key component yeah absolutely um, but yeah no but the the main component is what you said which is initial you know, lack of success or fa- even outright failure followed by uh, growing appreciation over the years. Right. And I guess Bottle Rocket is another one, right? The VHS that, that era kind of... really kicked off a lot of this. Yeah, Bottle Rocket's another perfect example of this. You know, Repo Man, another one. Um, I think the boom of home video and that becoming affordable for the average citizen made that so much more democratized and brought out for some sure. of these movies. You know, that's probably not talked about enough of just how earth shattering that was to the whole system of how movies can be successful. The fact that you could see a movie at your house on VHS tape, you know, a movie that's 20 years old, five years old, a year old, less than that. That was such a game changer. And it's always existed since you and I have been alive. So we're just kind of used to it. I, I struggle to think about a time before that in a lot of ways. You know, it's just my bias of being born when I was. Yeah. But I was like, holy shit, like you had you had six months to see it in the theaters. And then if the movie was a smash, it might come back in five or ten years. But that was it. And that idea is so foreign to me. It was also an era that was pre-multiplex where, you know, theaters usually were only one or two screens, maybe three or four at, a mo- at the most. And movies cycled through a lot more. So like... When a movie was in town, you had to catch it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, so we, I'm so happy with the introduction of video. Purists and a lot of people say, like, you know, going to the theater is the best way to experience a movie. And I certainly agree with that, too. But there is a certain debt we owe to VHS and DVDs and things like that for, like you're saying, kind of democratizing this and making neglected films or, or or maybe ones that were ahead of their time or not received well, they get a chance at Second Life. Yeah. And that's so crucial. Like without without VHS, this movie Heathers probably would have been lost. For sure. To some degree. You know what I mean? I don't think this would have made a big cultural impact, you know? I think the home video thing also revolutionized filmmaking. And this movie is also kind of a product of like you said, the democratization, so people just being able to indulge and see so much more shit. But it created this whole generation of filmmakers like your Quentin Tarantino's, your Robert Rodriguez's, you know, your your uh, P.T. Anderson's, these people who were able to finally like make their own films because they could make them on lower budgets and people were embracing the indie film movement. I mean, we can we can get into this guy a little bit more later, possibly, or we can just talk about him now. The writer of this movie, Daniel Waters, is a product of this generation too. He he was working in a video store and you know, kind of 
curating that and he thought he could write a good movie and he wrote this movie and you know this was the his first credit and you know that that kind of shit was only starting to happen at this point right so you're kind of saying like let's not forget not only the impact of us being able to rent this stuff but also the people who became great filmmakers were able to work there and work at this silly job that paid the bills, but they got to be around movies all day. Well, just look at like, look at the breadth of knowledge people like Quentin Tarantino have because they just sat there and they could just watch these devour. things constantly, just devour it. I mean, I was listening to the blank check on um, Barry Lyndon, uh, where their guest was Karina Longworth. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of the podcast, you must remember this, but she's kind of like a film historian and she like documents lesser known stories in Hollywood history, basically. Um, like she did a whole series that was amazing, uh, examining the connections between uh, Charlie Manson and the Manson murders in Hollywood, which was really cool. And then she did a whole series on Polly Platt. I talked about her show on the uh, Bottle Rocket episode. But anyway, um, she was talking about on that blank check episode that she also worked in a video store and that was like her like falling in love with movies time like in the early 90s she just got to just take these things home she said she took the Barry Lyndon th- uh, the only VHS copy of Barry Lyndon that they had she took home and like kept it there for like seven weeks because she was so obsessed with it um, wow. and like had to keep like telling people oh no sorry it's you know out sorry, on sorry it's again. out it's it's really amazing to see the impact that video and uh, you know rental places and just that whole expansion and democratization like we're talking about of film culture. Yeah, I mean, it does make me a little nervous that we don't have those quote unquote institutions anymore. I mean, I'm blessed living in Atlanta to have an actual DVD rental place nearby, which is just insane to me, and I love it so much. But most people don't have that. And I'll be, I mean, it's, it's, it's not an answerable question, but like, I wonder if not having these sort of physical spaces for people to go will kind of limit the amount of filmmakers we end up getting. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong, we're getting great movies these days, but, you know, it's just weird with everything being shifted to kind of streaming and stuff. We won't really have this sort of um, physical space to gather and talk about the shared thing, but it, it'll just morph and change. No, I mean, I'm with you. I think there, there definitely is something lost without those, but at the same time, you know, access to movies has never been more broad than it is now. That's, that's, that's one of the best things about it is like, you can kind of pretty quickly watch like anything. I could watch the whole Halloween series in a, a weekend if I wanted to just by renting them from yeah, my, from just... the streaming services. So like, yes, like, I lament that too. And I, I, you know, most of all, what I really lament about losing video is curation. I am such yes. a fan of when someone that I know knows their shit gives me a recommendation or like gives me a mm-hmm. list or like, like that, that's my favorite way to discover films. And totally. I would love to just walk into a video store like you currently do, you fucking lucky mm-hmm. bastard. Uh, but, oh, dude, you will too when you come visit, man. I will. But, the, but I mean, being able to just do that, oh man, I'm, I would love to be able to do that these days. Dude, and that level of curation can go into any art form too. Like I remember when I was working in a pizza place, there was a, a guy I worked with who was a guitarist and I, he knew my taste in music and I was like, oh, just give me some op, some 
bands to check out. And in like a to-go slip of paper, wrote front and back a bunch of names for me to check. And on that list was the Black Keys, who really weren't not well-known at the time. It's like, that's such a fun way to discover art mm-hmm. is when a trusted source kind of advises it to you. And my uncle did the same thing with novels too, and he he led me to sometimes great notion, which is my favorite book of all time. So Amazing. I I I love that curation thing too, man. And I'm I'm right there with you. Yeah, but anyway, this movie is definitely a product of that generation. Um, you know, first time writer, first time filmmaker, fresh out of film school. You know, a bunch of teenagers in the cast. Like it's it's kind of just a you know they ground it out. With that said. How did you feel about this movie on first watch? Do do you like the recommendation you were given by Taika Waititi and Victoria Roman? Absolutely. I really, really like this movie. And it's really not what I was expecting at all. I didn't have a ton of expectations going in as I kind of touched upon it. But when the film started, we have this kind of weird croquet scene and her head's in the ground. Then after that, it gets rolling. I'm like, oh, no. Is this just a high school movie, which is not really a genre I love? Like, I don't know. I was just like, okay. I guess it's just going to be a kind of high school movie from the 80s, and we'll have fun by seeing how 80s it is. And I did did remember that Victoria – had told me it was strange. So I did I did sense some weirdness sure. coming. So you were you were prepared but, in some way. Yes. But I did not think it was going to get so dark. And it was so surprising and different and unexpected in a lot of ways to me. And I found it to be uh really great. It makes sense that it came out around the time, you know, give or take three, four years as Repo Man. It does seem to have a sort of similar strangeness about it. It's got a fuck you mentality that I feel like this time in the 80s was very, very big. Absolutely. And it's just, it's doing whatever it wants. It is very bizarre. But I found it hilarious. I was laughing a lot with this movie. And some of the choices they made were so silly. Some of the casting choices were so random and great. And I, you know, I watched it a second time today and just was trying to do what we would call on the show a speed rewatch. I think a great sign of a movie that I'm really enjoying is when it kind of hurts a bit to hit the fast forward. When I'm like, I got to because, you know, we we have a schedule. I'm going to try to make this call at a certain time with Drew. So I'm trying to zip through the movie, but it, it like pains me to hit that fast forward button. I feel I feel like it's insulting to the filmmaker in a lot of ways and it's also like I want to see the scene. Well, just for a little bit of uh, you know, behind the scenes, Jared uh, today we were kind of like, you know, we were going to record at either 6 or 7 Eastern time. And uh I was like, yeah, just, you know, let me know uh you know when you want to do it and Jared texted me almost 6 o'clock or that he was about to do a speed rewatch. So we, he did the speed rewatch that he said was going to take 30 to 45 minutes and it took over an hour. So you definitely yeah, it, were lingering with some scenes. <laughs> I pretty much I pretty much just hung out with the movie because there wasn't there wasn't a ton of fat on it in a lot of ways. And I really enjoyed the world that was created for this film and the sort of the zaniness of the humor and the darkness of the humor. And I also am a sucker for when a subject that is not funny and should not be 
funny at all is satirized effectively. And I think this movie really pulled it off. And I think we have our generation's version of this. Oh, we'll get to that later. But I, I would love to see a film like this made now that's tackling a lot of the issues that we're facing today. Not to say that suicide is not one of them, but... Yeah, I mean, it's uh, interesting you say that because I feel like this movie could not be made today. A lot of a lot of the dialogue choices could be made today, but I would love... No, but like, I'm saying if, the premise of like a school, you know, school shootings and like suicide and like it, it's... that You would not get a budget for this today. Yeah. That's true. That's probably true. And when you said school shootings, that's what I was thinking of. Is like I would, I would love for a filmmaker to delicately but scathingly indict the hysteria and media obsession that surrounds school shootings. And I uh, wish it could be done in a way like this. I'm gonna push back on that pretty hardly uh, hard, dude. School shootings did not exist at this scale at any point in history. No, like no, there's a didn't. reason it's it's occupying that time, and I don't think that it's undeserved. I mean, I, I do you know, think the, that there the can coverage. be fetishization at some points, but yeah, I think overall. Yeah, I mean, I have I have a serious problem, and this is kind of another a different conversation. But I have a serious problem with them showing photographs and releasing the information of the shooters. Like, that I, I fully really, agree with. That's really problematic, yeah. and it's just like there can be sensationalization. Of like, yeah, and just know. there is this sort of morbid fascination um, well, that goes along, and with that it. opens up a whole other conversation, yeah. which is my fucking but, gross feelings about true crime. But anyway, yes, yes, that that is another similar thing. So I would just love um, for for a, a filmmaker to take down this sort of uh, obsessiveness about such darkness. Uh, but anyway, point being. I really loved this movie and I thought it lost a little bit of steam towards the end, even though I do feel like it didn't have a lot of fat and it was difficult for me to fast forward. Last couple 10 minutes, I kind of was getting watch checky a little bit Mm. and I was starting to check out. Mm -hmm. So I do want to make that mentioned. But overall, I thought the movie was hilarious, really strong. I liked it a lot and I really enjoyed the zaniness and absurdity of the world. So that's kind of my first impression with this film. What did you think about it? You know, it's, it's one of those movies for me in dartboard movie night history where it took me two viewings to, to really Mm. latch onto this movie. You know, we did, we've, I've brought this up recently. I feel like a lot where I watch a movie the first time and there is something about a first watch for me I have a really hard time parsing out like, okay, where is my bias, you know, against something? Like if I'm not totally vibing with it. And I think with this movie, it was something where I think especially on first watch, but even a little bit on on second watch for sure, I felt like it was a movie that read better than it played on screen. Mm. And as I said, like on second viewing, I, I did like this movie a lot more. But it's one of those, you know, where on first viewing, I was a little bit afraid that I was going to have another Repo Man episode where I was just like, <laughs> I don't get it. I, I just don't get mm-hmm. it. But I think second viewing, I was able to just lean into just embracing the absurdity of it a little bit more. And lines that didn't totally hit for me on the first watch were connecting with me. And I was like, oh, this is fucking funny as shit. That, that's great. And I was having a lot more fun with it because I kind of let go of the baggage we always talk about. And I stopped like trying to figure out the movie and I just let it be. 
And so, yeah, I think ultimately this movie definitely does not work for me nearly as much as it seems to for everyone else. Like this is another one of those movies where my rating is a lot lower than most of the people I follow on Letterboxd. But I still had a really good time with it. I, I think it's it's certainly not a bad movie. It's just a movie that I feel like I can see the I can see how fresh these filmmakers are to it. Like they're trying a lot of stuff, but for me it's not all working. It's not all working. Yeah, that's fair. Now that difference between the first and second viewing for you, because it sounds like first you were you were almost arms crossed about like I'm not digging this but second second you really started rolling with it did you just kind of acquiesce to the film's energy on the second viewing and shift into its gear or did it did it win you over or were you just maybe in a different mood because it is so funny those differences between first and second viewings can be so striking sometimes well it's like I, I think it was like the scenes that bothered me on first watch still bothered me on second watch. Like the the things that didn't work for me still didn't work for me, but the bright spots were brighter and I was able to kind of brush away those things that I didn't like as much because I was starting to to laugh more and have more fun with it. So I was able gotcha. to be like, eh, okay, whatever. That's just a scene that I'm not really totally digging. I think for me, what it boils down to is, you know, it's the thing I said before of like, I think it reads better on the page than I I don't love the delivery of a lot of the actors in this movie in terms of how they're bringing these jokes across. And I think Mm -hmm. I missed a few of the jokes because like the delivery just didn't register for me as like good comedic timing. Um, Yeah. I think that's a good point. But at the same time, it's well-written and I like the, the, I like the dialogue. I like, you know, this, this movie to me is of a, of a piece with things like, uh, Juno and Rushmore mm-hmm. and election and uh, less so election, I guess, in terms of the dialogue. But um, oh, I, I like the election comparison. I, I think I it. think Brick as well. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that the Ryan Johnson film, who is actually Karina Longworth's uh, spouse uh, that I mentioned earlier. Um, oh. But Ryan Johnson is one of my favorite filmmakers. His debut was called Brick. It stars Joseph Gordon-Levitt, but it's a high school set neo noir where they all mm-hmm. talk like they're in like a 40s, you know, noir film, but they're in a high school setting and it's great. It's, but it's it has its own language. Right. So I started Brick years and years ago at your recommendation and I bailed on it pretty quickly. Mm. And I think I was having a similar reaction to Brick that you might have been having to this film on first viewing where I was like I was pu- I was pushing back against what the film was asking me to do. The, you know, the film, like you're saying, in Brick was like, we're going to be 40s gangsters. It's going to be razzle dazzle, but it's modern day high school. And I just wasn't willing to play ball on that and that viewing. Do you think you would it. appreciate it more now? I think so. And I think I really want to revisit it because I like you love Ryan Johnson. I think he makes great movies. And I like Joseph, Joseph Gordon-Levitt a lot. So it's like, oh, yeah, I, I, I owe it to that film again to really try it. Dark, and I wasn't Dark like, board contender. It's it's absolutely a dartboard contender. But yeah, sometimes we just I can get resistant to the energies that a film is operating in. And it sounds like to some degree that's what happened to you in that first viewing. I think so. And I think the difference between this and Brick is that I think the actors are a lot better in Brick. I think that they're they have a grasp on the language better than some of the characters in this movie do. But like, you know, I see 
all these people that talk about this movie online referencing lines of dialogue like, you know, fuck me gently with a chainsaw, that to me, like, I, when when that was said, I was just like, that's just like, it's stupid. It didn't, it didn't work for me because of, to me, the, the, unfortunately the actor playing that particular Heather, I think it's Heather, uh, Chandler Mm -hmm. is, uh, just not, she's just not up to par to me. And it just doesn't, it doesn't hit the way that some of those more flowery dialogue bits from movies like brick and, you know, even like, uh, Looper, another one of Ryan Johnson's movies, has a little bit of this too. Um, but just like when they're delivering something that's that different than the way we normally speak, it takes a really talented actor to give that life to me. Yeah, to make to make the words seem real, to make them seem pe- yeah, to make them seem like a person really just said that. And I agree that that line that's a I think a really good example of a line that's incredibly well written but doesn't really leap across in the performance and i think it aids to your your kind of opinion of it it reads better in in some situations than it is performed and also that character heather chandler is not a funny character she is kind of cold heartless and in many ways almost always unsympathetic so it 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 makes sense in the performance that she doesn't deliver it with a bunch of panache and a bunch of, you know, zhuzh or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. But it does kind of leave the words themselves and the strength of them in no man's land to a degree where it's just like this. we got this great line just kind of dying on the vine a little bit. I think that's a really fair critique of that line specifically. Well, and, you know, I don't want to totally disparage the actor's name is Kim Walker. And um, at yeah. the time, I like the performance, by the way. I don't I mind it you about that in line. general, but like some of that stuff just doesn't work for me. I don't think she's a very talented actor, unfortunately. Um, but she was uh, Christian Slater's girlfriend at the time. And funny story is that they really, really wanted Heather Graham for that part, actually. I heard that. Isn't that crazy? And, you know, Kim Kim Walker was kind of a last minute addition just because, you know, there was a connection there. But Heather Graham was the first choice. And I it kind of makes me sad that we don't have that movie. I would love to see I the story I heard anyway is that Heather Graham at the time was 17. And her parents As were had all to of, sign off. Like most of these actors, by the way. Which is which is crazy. I didn't... Winona Ryder was 16. I'm surprised to hear that. Because a lot of times, maybe it's just how we're conditioned as movie watchers. We see a, a high school dramedy or comedy film. And we know that the actors are probably 25, 23, 27... You know, in that range. Maybe yeah, you, that's how your that's where your brain goes when you think of that's like people playing know. high school age in Hollywood. Yeah, but they were they were really kids in this film, which is crazy. But he, I guess going going back to Heather Graham, her parents wouldn't sign off on allowing her to do this film. Yeah, and the director apparently had they like were pretty conservative, and yeah, and they were just like, "No, we're not doing this," which is it, it's a total heartbreaker because I agree with you, man. Who wouldn't want to see? Heather Graham in this film as like a cold hearted, snappy sort of a very, very character to use the parlance of this film. Um, like it would have just been cool to say, man. Well, and she's got the right energy where it's like, I can buy her 
as opposed to the performance we get from Kim Walker where it's like overtly evil, you know, I could buy Heather Graham a little bit more of like, I can see why people actually kind of liked you just and maybe give you a pass for the shit that you do, you know, cause she's just got an energy that's a little bit more bubbly and a little bit more relatable. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. She's got those, those, those big eyes and that bubbliness that probably lets her get away with a lot more on screen in terms of like villainous behavior that maybe she can kind of lace with a certain Splenda or something, you know what I mean? Like an artificial sweetness about it. Yeah. Well, anyway, but, again, not to yeah. disparage Kim Walker, like she's fine in it. It just mm-hmm. wasn't the right performance for me. I didn't like it as as much as yeah. uh, some other people in the movie. But no, um, for sure. but anyway, like I guess going back to the just kind of the movie having its own language. How do you feel about movies like that generally? I mean, you said that you turned off Brick halfway through it, which you know, as much as. Uh, that pains me to hear. I also understand it on some level because it, it is really, I mean, I watched it for a film class in college and it took me a while to latch on to. Um, but yeah. How do you feel about that generally? I do like when films create rhythm and language and, and kind of really manipulate it to, to suit their needs. And, and especially when as a, as an American watching this, like it, the point of it all comes across that where I get frustrated is when I don't know what they're saying. I like, but what like this movie Heather's, I was never confused about what was being expressed, even though uh, language was being manipulated in such a way. I would also throw reservoir dogs. Sure. In that category. Tarantino like is a, very similar. A, yeah. Like people who, who use language in, in unorthodox ways to express ideas people who know me in my personal life know that I'm a huge fan of Glenn Gary Glenn Ross and David Mamet's writing style in general. I think he has a lot of that too. Just you hear these expressions that he writes that I'm like, how did you come up? Like that's a great expression to express that sort of aggravation or whatever it is, but it's something we just don't hear in it life. It feels less removed from reality though than this does. Less. Yes, I, I agree. So you're saying Mamet's writing seems closer to the truth than, say, something like this, which is a little more amplified. Yeah, like, I mean, he's using really interesting, evocative terminology and like like mm-hmm. phrasing of things. But it's not a language unto itself, I feel like, mm-hmm. you know, because yeah. like when people are talking, they're like, fuck you. Like, you know, they, there's like a normal rhythm to their 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 talking. Right. Um, yeah, I think that's fair. But it, they're saying really interesting, fun Dialogue. I want to go back just real quick. You may have mentioned this, but um, you were talking about how it was mentioned a lot. This movie Heather's by filmmakers you like, bloggers, and and film film geeks like us that you admire. Did you know about its darkness when you when you watched it the first time? Did you know about the impending, say, like the whole suicide, the murder suicide angle to the story? I had no idea of what the premise of this movie was, actually. I knew cool. it was a high school movie. I knew it was young people, and I knew it was a comedy on some level, but I did not know that it was a pitch black comedy like this. Yeah, super dark. Did you buck to some of those things on first viewing? And then, because you said you're... Your base level opinion stayed the same for the most part about the negative scenes that you reacted to in viewing one and two. How did you feel about the darkness that this movie plays in? If we want to go there now, or we could save it for later too. On first viewing, I didn't buy it. Like the turns that characters make, the choices they make. I think I was trying to watch this through a lens of reality that this movie has no regard for. 
And I think it, I think in that way, it's kind of a flawed first viewing because I, I just like the, the darkness of it to me reached levels where I wasn't connecting to it because I wasn't buying the motivations of characters fully. I think on second viewing that bothered me less, but definitely like, you know, when we're talking about like pulling out a gun and shit in school and like, you know, uh, kind of making light of suicide in some way, not really making light of it, but using it as a device for comedy kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And I, I still am not totally sure how I feel on it. I think it like, I think there are moments where the movie tries to, and, and I, it makes total sense to me why Taika brought this up when he was making Jojo Rabbit, because this movie has moments in it that like go into real darkness, not just like funny mm-hmm. dark, mm-hmm. you know, not just like making a joke about being fucked by a chainsaw. Like we're talking like a, a woman walking into traffic, uh, yeah. because she's been bullied so bad. Like, and that, that scene is heartbreaking. Oh, how about the scene right before it? Sorry to cut you off, but I just wanted to throw this in as we're talking about this. Mm-hmm. The scene where it's a shot of her, it's pretty close up, and she's drinking a soda on the bleachers, and we hear the surroundings of like a basketball game or some sort of sporting event, and then it cuts to a wide, and it's her completely alone, and the gym is silent. Yeah, something about that was super effective. It was sad, like to me. brutally it's very sad. sad. And you know, yeah. going back to the Jojo Rabbit comparison, I mean, there are moments in that movie that they don't shy away from the fact that we're dealing with Nazis here. Like they're, mm-hmm. they're fucked up. They do some fucked up yeah. shit. And like, you know, that movie for me on first viewing worked for me more and actually has diminished for me over time. I don't think that he gets the tonal balance all, all perfectly there. And I mm-hmm. think this movie doesn't get it perfectly right either. It, to me, like that scene, as much as I, I appreciate it from how it affected me, feels out of a different movie and 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 if yeah. anything it makes me think that like i don't know i just i i don't i don't know if the filmmakers totally knew the forces they were playing with when they were doing stuff like that and it just it doesn't it doesn't work for me in the whole of the movie um mm. so like there are, i think that tonal mismatch i think that's the biggest problem i have with the movie is just like it swerves so much that I don't know what this movie wants to be. And as a result, yeah. the messaging kind of gets lost on me because of that. Yeah, and that's so funny because that's one of the things I like most about this film is it's kind of mogul-like jumping, ski jumping from like one to- like one emotion to the next, very rapid fire and, and very complicated. And I think one example, I think you, you highlighted a really good example with the, the person who was bullied into... Uh, Walking into traffic. Martha, yeah. But another one that comes to mind is at the funeral for the two football players who are murdered, and which is like, in terms of the tonal shift being so effective to me, we get that shot of the father. like, Which is the funniest shot in the movie, in my opinion. Hilarious. The fact that they're in their football pads and I love my Helmets. dead gay son is hilarious. I love my dead. So funny. And... 
I agree that some of the written lines aren't delivered perfectly, but this movie is stuffed to the rafters with visual gags. And I think and there are there stuff. are you know as much as I'm talking about the like de- the delivery of lines not working for me, there are a number of actors in this movie that know exactly what movie they're in and yes. nail it. And that and that dad is one of them. <laughs> that dad is absolutely one of them. And like I love my gay son. He's crying. I love my dead like, gay son. That's it's so funny. Son. The it's phrasing just so over the top and so big. And they're in literally their football helmets in the casket with the masks on, like and the, the face guard. They're doing a joint funeral. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That oh, that's a great point too. Um just because they believed that they were lovers and like probably thought they wanted to get buried together or something. But so that scene is hilarious, right? And we're all laughing at that, the absurdity of that situation. It cuts to Christian Slater leaning into Winona Ryder to say something snarky about like, you know, the dad or something. And Winona starts chuckling. And then it cuts to a POV shot from Winona's perspective. And it appears to be maybe one of these guys' younger sister or something looks back at her and is like crying. And that I I loved the complexity of the the trip I took on those string that string of scenes because it's like I'm laughing and then all of a sudden something is not funny. Yeah. And it's like no, this is somebody died. This these people had families. Like this is not hilarious. It's interesting that you are referencing that bit of it because to me that is also exemplative of what doesn't work for me which is I don't buy a lot of these motivations so like we have this scene where you know on the first time when they kill Heather Chandler it's an accident on Winona's part she mistakenly grabs the wrong mug and Christian Slater just you know, omits the fact that she did it and and allows this to happen. So that's an accident, right? And and at that point, I'm still on board with this Veronica character. But then you have the the scene where they murder these two guys, and it's the scene where Winona Ryder comes to understand that this is like a killing spree. It's not like they're not staging anything. Number one, I don't buy for a fucking second that this girl thinks that plan is actually like going, like what is the end game of that plan? They're still going to go to fucking jail for like staging a murder. Uh, (laughs) Like they, like they still were firing an actual fucking gun at people, whether these bullets are these magic bullets that Christian Slater's character like wants to use or not. Like Mm -hmm. that scene, she goes along with this plan, which I already don't buy, but then you have, the scene where she realizes what's happening and she actually kills the guy. So she's committed murder mm-hmm. and she's conflicted about it a little bit at that point you can see. But then we cut to that funeral and they're cracking jokes about it. And then she's conflicted again. It's like the flow of that, that that character loses all credibility to me when like there's no logical consistency to her emotions around what's happening. Yeah, see, I I like that conflict because I think it's I think it's somewhat realistic about like like people go back and forth on ideas and things in general. But she has this she has this complicated thing going on where she has seen she has evidence of of life in her high school culture improving with these negative people being removed from the equation. So she is, I think, grappling with these issues of well, like, has it though? Because I think like what she's coming to the conclusion of is that 
it doesn't affect it. And there's always someone that takes that person's place because that's yeah, what she, she says she, right after that. Yeah. She eventually arrives to that conclusion of like, there's always, you know, another asshole will continue to rise. You're never going to stamp out assholery. You know what I mean? I think she eventually gets there, but through her character's trajectory through the story, she goes up and down about the justification or lack thereof of these killings. Yeah. Also, the movie is so absurd in a lot of ways that I just give it a lot of slack. I cut like in terms of character motivations and decision making, I get so loose with it because the movie kind of invites this sort of looseness. Yeah, but do you buy that character's feelings on it? And maybe motivations is the wrong word. Like, do you buy yeah. that Winona Ryder is going through that emotional journey? Because to me, I do. It's such yeah. a it's such a, a big event. Like, listen, if you're gonna have a scene like with Martha walking into traffic where you show the stark reality of these things, to me, it's weird that you have that alongside a scene where you're also conflicted with the stark reality, but this person doesn't register it at all, and they just go on with their lives and tr and try to just you know make jokes about the murder. Like that, it it there's not. To me, it's like if you're going to do this weird teeter totter back and forth between the dark and the light like that, I guess, or just the dark and the comedy, not really light. To me, it's like you want consistency. I want consistency. From the yeah, character. like like give give fair. me those really dark moments as really dark moments. Don't try to undercut it with this other stuff. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I don't know. I just I just never I never viewed her character. I mean, she's I think she's kind of she's dumb. I, like Veronica as a character really? just like strikes me as like an idiot. Like she's got a monocle though. She can't be dumb. <laughs> I was going to bring up the monocle for sure. We got to talk about the monocle. <laughs> it's so fucking weird. But no, but yeah. like, you know, the other thing is like when this movie was being made, the script, the original script had a far darker ending where the bomb does go off and like the whole gym mm -hmm. collapses and the studio, when they made it, made them change it to a, a lighter ending. The ending we get is still pretty dark. It is, but Veronica gets to go on and I don't think yeah. she deserves that. I think she should die at the end of this movie. Like she fucking killed mm. someone. Yeah. yeah killed two killed, people, uh, one by accident, one on purpose. In, in my rewatch today, when they were like running after the one dude who ran away, that's when I was fast forwarding. And then I got to the cops, which I had to stop cops and hang out great. with the cops for a little we'll while. We'll talk about the cops later in quotes section. Cause there's a yeah, lot of quotes to bring up. So damn funny. But I had accidentally fast forwarded past who actually shot the second person. It's her, right? Yes. He, he, yeah. like, cause he comes back to where they were, sees his dead friend on the ground and freezes. And Christian Slater says, shoot him or something. Like he, he encourages Winona Ryder to shoot and she shoots and him. She does. She shoots him. So she, so yeah, she commits a murder in that scene. And she makes a choice to, she could just yeah. like not raise her gun on him at all. So I get that. I get you saying that like she you know, doesn't deserve a happy ending. The ending of this film is her, you know, tying a ponytail and being a badass now and making new friends and being sweet. But you're saying like she, she committed a murder. Like, what are we talking about here? Yeah. So, I mean, I think overall with this movie, I'm just really conflicted because I really love certain elements of it, but I had big problems with it, you know? So for me, it's like a three star out of five movie. Like it's it's like a. I see the value of it. I, I really like elements, but it is flawed as fuck for me. Yeah, see, I, yeah, for me, it's definitely higher than that. I really, 
I thought it was really, I hate the word subversive. It's so overused. But it is. But it is subversive. It is. And it, it goes so against expectations and is so not what I was expecting it to be that I just, uh, I was totally charmed by it. Like, it's not it's not in Repo Man category for me personally. I really, really like this movie a lot. It's not going to be uh, one of the great film loves my of my life, I don't think. But... I, I it does sound like I liked it more than you did. For I, sure. I I think it's really good. But but we'll get into the deets. Well, one thing that I think definitely contributed to this movie not working for me is the music. I hated the music really? in this movie. Really? think You don't like Kesara? Well, well, okay. No, the actual <laughs> songs they use, but I'm saying the synth score yeah, is that so shows fucking bad and it's distractingly bad and i think mm. it actually is undermining a lot of what's happening on screen that is so surprising for me to hear you say that because i didn't notice it at all and that type of shit normally drives me crazy it bugs like on this the show i'm normally the score guy i would love to watch this movie with a no music track version <laughs> remember when we watched we talked about let the right one in and i was bitching about that score this one this one I didn't even notice. I noticed it was '80s, but I played along with it, so it really rubbed you the wrong way. Oh my god! I I was, you know, you brought up recently on the show uh, something wild, and mm-hmm. the you know the way that that was that movie was evocative of the '80s. To me, this score is definitely evocative of the '80s, but it's the bad version of that. Whereas, like something wild, you're absolutely right. Is like like really exemplifies that period in time and like feels of, of that time, but it holds up in a fun way in terms of like being a time capsule, but also a catchy time capsule that you want to listen to, you know, whereas well, this the music to me, is, the music in something wild is strong too. It's yes. like actually good music. Like, and Jonathan Demi always had a great, well, David Byrne was the music supervisor on that movie. Oh yeah. <laughs> that guy, but from um, the talking heads yeah, for those who from don't the know. talking heads. Yeah. So it was clear that Demi always had his pulse on, or he had a good understanding of, even just instinctually what music was going to age well. I don't think he was putting a ton of thought into this is going to sound good 30 years from now. I'm not saying that. No, but, it, but he, he just, had a he little bit of foresight tastes. somehow with his taste. Yeah, he, excellent taste. Um, and so, but you're saying this is not that. No, the sense, the score. sense score in this movie was distracting. Like it pulled me out of scenes and ruined shit yeah. for me. And I think like, I think part of it is like the score is constant. And it's always telling you what to think about a scene. And it drived me up a fucking wall. Oh, man, I love this in terms of just a hot take. I love it. Um, what's a, what should our term be? So if we're if we're inventing the scale for Dartboard Movie Night, where at one end of the spectrum we have the good side, which is something wild, where the score is of its time but timeless also. What's the film, the other the other side of the spectrum where it has aged poorly my candidate for 80s would be weird science but i'm open i haven't to, seen uh, weird science so i, don't I know. haven't either but i know the song you know what okay <laughs> I'm open to other ideas this actually is probably this is not the, that movie but another one that i think about is like uh the breakfast club it is so fucking 80s but that's the music in it uh still like resonates with me it like works in in how campy and 80s it is yeah maybe war games 
can put war sure. games on one side. I don't know. We've I, got I the Terminator on here, and I know the Terminator has a very synthy score, so mm-hmm. we'll see how that works. But man, they loved their cocaine and their synth in the eighties. They man. sure did. Anyway, um, I'm glad to hear that the music worked better for you. And and like I said, I did like the selections. Like I like that they bookend the movie with K. Sarah, like two versions I of like it. That too. That's I, th- I think that's fun. And I love that Sly and the Family Stone version. I've been listening to that a lot recently, which is so weird that we hit this movie right when I heard it the first time, like a week ago. But I think to me, there the the biggest gripe I had was that the movie, the music was constantly telling me what to think. And like, yeah, you know, that, the dark scenes were like this moody, like, you know, and then like the, the light scenes were like, you know, it's just like, it, it yeah. I, I, I hate that. Like, give me some silence. Dude, try silence. That's, that's, <laughs> have you tried silence? It's delicious. I think that's so funny because as I kind of reference, I normally go nuts over that shit. I hate when a score tells me how to feel. And I know that to some degree, that's what all scores are doing. But when it's really obvious, when it's shouting That's at what you, it like is. it's the obvious. This is a dark moment. Yeah. This is a happy moment. I normally it normally drives me batty. But something about this, maybe I just was feeling loose when I watched this movie and gave it more slack than it deserved. But it did not bother me at all. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And yeah. you know, again, we've said uh, we've said a million times on this show, someone's yuck is uh, someone else's yum. So yeah. You know? Yeah, we're not gonna we're not gonna yum shame on this show. Not on this show. <laughs> well, let's talk about the actors a little bit because this movie for sure is an early success, or at least a movie that brought a a lot of people's attention to Winona Ryder and Christian Slater. We'll start with Winona Ryder as the star of the movie. How do you feel about her generally, and what do you think of this performance? This is probably going to be a pretty boring answer from me. I'm not like a Winona Ryder fan of any level. Nothing against her either. Mm-hmm. You kind of actually mentioned something similar from your perspective earlier in the episode. But I have always just thought she's okay. Good. I would even say good. Not just okay. Like She deserves more than what she's getting from me right now. But I've never been intoxicated by a performance of hers that I've seen. Mm. But I've also never been put off. Last time I remember seeing her was probably Stranger Things, I want to say. Outside of that, though, I can't think of any iconic performances of hers. I I would say this is one. I think she's really good in this. And it has made me curious to maybe reevaluate Winona a little bit in terms of how I feel about her. Maybe I should see some of her other performances and kind of like actively pursue them a little bit. But Generally, I've just never really, I've known her as a name. If you were to ask me last week, who's Winona Ryder? I don't think I could conjure her image in my mind. And I couldn't name a performance of hers, like I said, that's like iconic. Mm -hmm. So I would say kind of room temperature milk is my feeling (laughs) or or, or like, is like what I knew of Winona. I'm saying that more as an insult to my knowledge, not at, not her. You know what I mean? So uh, for me, yeah, just don't know a ton about her. Do you? Are you in the same boat? Do you know? Does she have iconic roles as you see it? As I mentioned earlier in the episode, I don't have a ton of background with Winona Ryder. So more than me, maybe. Probably more than you. I when I was younger, I saw Beetlejuice and Edward Scissorhands. I don't remember very much about those movies. 
I saw them when I was probably 10 or 11, something like that. I, they're just movies that I haven't revisited for whatever reason. So I might be giving her a little short shrift, but I'm generally, I feel like I'm even more negative on her than you are, it sounds like, because I thought she was actively bad, at least in the the two seasons of Stranger Things that I've seen. Something about her style of acting, and maybe this agrees with people more than it does me, but for me... It just doesn't register as a real human being. I don't know why. But I also remember her from Mr. Deeds, which I watched a lot when I was a kid. You know, going back to our Big Daddy conversation, I was a huge Adam Sandler fan. And, you know, that's not one of his best by any means. But for whatever reason, me and my siblings rewatched that a bunch when we were younger. We had the DVD. And... Um, Mr. Deeds is a good one, man. Yeah, it's a top ten. Eh. It's a top ten. Well, okay, but top ten, top ten. Yeah, yeah sure. It's in the certainly it's in not the back top half. five, but no, it's not top five. But it's probably seven or so. It's got it's got its like moments that. for sure. But I do not like her performance in that movie. I think she's legitimately bad in that movie. I mean, I think she and and Sandler have decent chemistry, but I just again, it's like a, a situation where I just don't think she's a real person. You know, in this movie, I really liked her. I, I thought she was okay. Like, she's one of the bright spots of this. So this is my favorite of her performances that I've seen and that I remember. And it makes me do. It does make me want to go back and rewatch Beetlejuice and uh, Edward Scissorhands to kind of get that early, more gothy vibe that she had. Um, and then I also want to kind of check in with some of her her '90s stuff, like Reality Bites, and like you know she was she was nominated for Oscars in back to back years for Little Women and the year before that, The Age of Innocence, the Martin Scorsese movie. So like she had a really strong '80s and '90s, and I I definitely owe it to her to give her more of a watch than I have in order to give a full opinion. But so far, she's one for three for me. Yeah, so it sounds like both of us aren't really like super up to speed with Winona. Had you seen either of her Oscar-nominated performances, the ones that you mentioned? No, no, no. Like I said, like the basically the yeah. only exposure I have is the the four things that I said I've seen, and two of them I don't remember before this. Yeah, yeah, she's very kind of yeah, she's 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 fine. Look, she was a an icon of that era, and. Like I said, I owe it to her to to expand that knowledge to to really see what I think about her as an actor overall because I don't think I have a big enough sample size. But yeah, I think she's good in this movie. Maybe not phenomenal like a lot of people think she is. And uh, I think she's great. I, I think she's really good in this. I will say, like she, I buy it. I buy her character. I buy the way she delivers lines. I think she has a great look, like very eighties sort of vibe. I think she's good on camera. I think she's really well she fits really well to this role yeah it seems to me i i really liked it a lot no she does and and, and overall she definitely works for me in this and i think it's a good performance i loved um the wrinkles she would throw in are those ridiculous scenes with her parents like when she was kind of like they had that reoccurring scene i think you know the one i'm talking about where like the, the, the parents would call her over after croquet or whatever, and she'd like join them at the table, and the father would say something about, like, remind me why I read these stupid tr- spine offs. And it's just all shot so hammy and so many fucking close ups in this movie and stuff like that. But it's just so dialed up, and she was killing me in those scenes. I thought she was so fucking funny, where she's like, oh, good pate, but I got a motor. I'm going to be late for this party. And then, like, later in the movie, She's like, oh, good pate, but I'm going to motor or I'll be late for this funeral. 
And it's just like, I just love those reoccurring scenes, which is more a strength of the director or the writer than necessarily the performance. But I feel like she played them really, really well. Well, she definitely knows what movie she's in. And I think yes. that's, that's a testament to her as a, I mean, like I said, she, she was gets fucking it. 16 she gets in this it. movie. And like she, she gets what movie she's in and she delivers it really well. But uh, let's move on to Christian Slater. So we've mentioned the ages of a lot of these actors. Christian Slater was 19 when this movie was made. Um, Crazy. He had kind of broken out on the scene in 86, a couple of years before this, for a Sean Connery film called The Name of the Rose. He had done uh, a movie with Jeff Bridges, directed by Francis Ford Coppola the same year as this, called Tucker, The Man in His Dream. But this was essentially his you know, real breakout into mainstream appeal um, was kind of the the catching on of the cult status of this movie. How do you feel about Christian Slater? What's your background with him? And what do you think of him in this movie? Dude, even somehow even more indifferent than my opinion on Winona Ryder is my opinion of Christian Slater. Interesting. Okay. I have no strong or negative feelings about the man. And outside of this movie, in terms of my baggage or whatever I'm bringing to it, Another actor like Winona that I could not really name a quote-unquote iconic performance. I have not seen a lot of Christian Slater roles. Well, his, I know of him, but his iconic performance is True Romance. That's the movie that you know people I always forgot say. he was in that. Yeah. Yes, he's good in that, as I recall. I've only seen it once. It's a movie I haven't seen, and it's one that I've also considered Ooh. putting on the board at some point. Um, it's a movie written by Tarantino, and I think it's the only thing that Tarantino's made that I haven't seen before so um and i like tony scott as a filmmaker he's an interesting guy to talk about definitely a good contender for the board but for sure and you get a little uh you get a little gary oldman in there too yeah yeah well and stoner brad pitt early brad pitt who also uh did the table read of this movie before they cast the movie and he played the christian slater part heathers really oh cool i didn't know apparently so there was a quote where um it was in, I think, the oral history that I read about this movie, and Daniel Waters, uh, the writer, was talking about how at the table read, um, Brad Pitt, you know, after doing the table read and reading the script, Pitt came up to him and he said, I know that I'm nobody, but this is fucking great. Mm. <laughs> and like, so he was like, cool. you know, he was just on the cusp of breaking out in, in this. So Pitt got it too then, just like Winona, Pitt understood what the script was going for. Yeah, and then unfortunately he wasn't a big enough draw to to get cast in the yeah. movie and Slater was a bigger name at the time, but um but yeah, it's it's also interesting to think about what is this movie with Brad Pitt in it too, you know? I mean, we already saw him play a similar character later in his career with Fight Club. Mm. I feel like Christian Slater is kind of obviously this came way before and blah blah blah, sure. but like the sort of unpredictable rebellious destruction is a necessary part of society. You can't tell if he's chaotic good or chaotic evil. Yeah, like they're kind of playing in similar spaces. So even though I'm sure Brad Pitt would have crushed it and done well here, I'm glad that it's Christian Slater's role because I think he plays it really well. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's really interesting to think about the fact that Brad Pitt was somehow involved in this early on because from here... Uh, Brad Pitt breaks out pretty shortly after with, um, you know, True Romance, and then he has uh, Californication, which he's playing, I, I want to say, I mean, I haven't seen the movie. I've heard it's kind of bad, honestly, but he it's an early movie of his with Juliette Lewis, and he uh, 
plays a murderous kind of guy in that too. So I think he's, you know, there was, there was, there's connections there, but another connection is that my, I, I personally don't have a lot of background with Christian Slater at all. I know very, very little of his, his background and I have not seen many of his movies, but one that I have seen is one that he is in with Brad Pitt called interview with a vampire. Right. I forgot. He's the fucking, uh, he's the journalist journalist, that's interviewing Brad Pitt in the movie. And, those are the scenes that are my least favorite of that movie, but uh, but is it he's his fine fault it. or is it because the movie sucks? He's fine. It's not. It's not bad. It, but it wasn't. It definitely wasn't a performance that grabbed me and made me be like, oh shit, I need to watch a lot of Christian Slater stuff. Yeah. Where has he been all my life? Right. It was not one of those. No, yeah. not at all. And I mean, my my other background with him is I saw when I was much much younger another movie kind of like Edward Scissorhands and Beetlejuice that I saw when I was young and like. I almost don't even want to say that I've seen it because I don't remember anything about it. But Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, the Kevin Costner Robin Hood movie, he's he's one of the other main supporting characters of that. One cool thing about Slater is he seems to have a really good sense of humor about himself. And mm. I think he knows who he is and he knows that he's yes. a very specific actor. Um mm-hmm. I really want to watch the movie Broken Arrow, which is a really shl- like schlocky action movie from the 90s with John Travolta, uh, directed by John Woo. It's one of his first Hollywood movies oh, that he made. Oh, man. Might we got to put first. that on the board. Um, is Slater no, 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 a villain we, in it? I, if we're going to put a John Woo on the board, it's going to be Hard Boiled, because I have not seen Hard Boiled, and that's the movie that everyone says is like Yeah, well, I'm thinking Woo long classic. term, man. This is We're talking... But Broken Arrow is definitely a contender. I mean, it's pre-Face-Off, too, John Woo. We've already got a John Woo on the board in Face-Off. So Uh, going back to Slater's humor about himself, Mm -hmm. uh, he's done a lot of voice acting. He did a bunch of episodes of Robot Chicken um, where he played, like, various characters on there. He's done an episode of, of Rick and Morty. So he's, like, he's in the comedy realm a little bit with that kind of stuff. But another really cool thing that I I know about Christian Slater, I recently got into Star Trek movies, like the the original six Star Trek movies with the original cast of you know Shatner, Nimoy, all them. Mm-hmm. I watched those uh, a couple of summers ago, and they just immediately latched on with me. I was like, the energy of mm. these movies is like a warm bath for me, and I love those movies. But go ahead. Cosmo Kramer believes that Search for Spock is the strongest of the films. Do you agree? He's out of his fucking mind. Really? Yeah. Wrath of Khan? We're going to talk about my favorite, which is number six, The Undiscovered Country. I love The Undiscovered Country. I might like it even more than Wrath of Khan. It's it's my favorite... And you're saying this unironically. Unironically. I love, love this movie. And it's like, it's the epitome of Star Trek to me, which is people in a room talking out issues and like, you know, big cataclysmic events are impending and 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 all these conversations are hinging on that. That's like Star Trek is is at its best when it's just people talking and, you know, figuring shit out. And this movie has a bunch of that. Um, but... The casting director on The Undiscovered Country was Christian Slater's mom. His mom's name is Mary Jo Slater. And like I said, she's the casting director on this movie. And Christian Slater is apparently a massive Star Trek fan. So he did a walk-on role for one line in Star Trek number in Star Trek VI, well after he became an established star. Um, I think it was pre-True Romance, but it was definitely post-Heathers. 
And he just did it because he was like, I just want to be on this set. I just want to wear a fucking uniform of one of the, you know, uh, uh, you know, whatever you call them yeah. in, in Star Trek. It's like when, speaking of Brad Pitt, it's like when he showed up in a Jackass episode. Exactly. But he was in, he wore a bunny costume because he didn't want to distract from the, the comedy of the bit. Another example would be Rob McElhaney, uh, the creator and showrunner, or one of the showrunners of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, would show up as like a cameo in certain TV shows as like a guy who gets stabbed, like a security <laughs> guard. Like he was in Lost and he got like shot in the throat with an arrow in Lost. I don't know if I knew shit, that. You know? That's funny. Oh, yeah. He does stuff like that where he'll just like, he, I think he just likes a show. He did it in Game of Thrones too, I believe, huh. where he'll just be like, can I just be guard number six who gets like whacked at the gate, you know? Well, it's one of those things, you know, Slater being in this Star Trek movie and having a line, like making it known that he was in this movie. I feel like it's one of those things that gives me a lot of respect for him because I feel like an agent would tell you not to do that because when you're reaching that level of stardom, you're undercutting it by putting yourself in a role like that in some way. And you're saying, I'm not important enough to justify more than just this scene. And I think it shows a level of humility and a level of just like, I do this because I love it. You know, when someone does yeah. something like that, I love Star Trek and I want to be a part of it. Exactly. Like, that's why he did it. He didn't, he didn't do it for the check, you know, and I forgot a key Christian Slater role that is in the office when he plays a cameo version of himself. I don't, it's not one of the seasons I've watched to death. I don't know if I remember it this. It's the point in the story. Michael, Michael Scott is still in the show. And the other company has bought Dunder Mifflin. And they're like a printer company or some shit. I can't remember the details. Oh, but, yes. Yeah. And they're like, oh, here's, they, they throw on their corporate video. It's like a corporate. It's the orientation video. thing. Yeah. Yes. The, or that's the word, the orientation video. And like, I just remember Christian Slater being like, hi, I'm Christian Slater. I'm blah, blah, blah. And Michael Scott, it just cuts to Michael Scott, like jaw down agape like looking at everyone else like oh my god on the tv this fucking christian slater it's like it's, it's like great what gag. the desired effect is of them hiring christian slater for that and he's just playing into it hook line and sinker i just love i think i think him showing up in that office thing really speaks to your point of he knows who he is he recognizes that he's like a, a b-level star who's done right. some good shit and he's 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 open to making fun of himself. Well, the joke of that seriously. is that he's not a big enough star to where he wouldn't do like, it, like bring himself down to that level. He he'll right. take the paycheck to do that. In terms of this performance specifically, I kind of had it ruined for me in a strange way, and it's it's so it's so funny to think about because I first viewing right, I don't know a ton about Christian Slater. I know he pokes fun at himself. Watched it, thought it was good, solid, liked him, believed him. And then, after it ended, I was watching some making of. It's on YouTube. We might link it in the show notes. It's pretty good. Features the writer a lot. I don't know if we might have seen the same one. It's like about a half an hour. I didn't watch any videos. I only read Oh, okay, cool. I'll send it to you just as a goof, just so you can check it out. But we might put it in the show notes. They mentioned how Christian Slater is, is channeling Jack Nicholson energy in this film. And it like blew my head off. I was like, holy shit, I didn't notice that at all. And then I dove into my second speed rewatch before we started rolling on this. this. 
and it's so obvious. I don't know how I missed it. Did you did you notice the Jack Nicholsonishness of the performance? So yeah, I definitely did. I it was something that I clued into pretty early on, and it does at times kind of delve into mediocre Jack Nicholson impression territory. For me, really large sections of this performance work on their own. And I don't, I'm not necessarily bothered by the fact that he's doing a little bit of a Jack Nicholson riff because it's working and it's it's hitting all the marks that I'm looking for in those scenes. So it doesn't bother me, but there are moments and the moment I referenced uh, was the scene with, with Christian Slater and Shannon Doherty where he is blackmailing her and also simultaneously elevating her to this like, you know, foremost uh, bully figure, I guess. Yeah, like kingmaker status or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, giving her the red scrunchie and letting her, her kind of, you know, take over. That was a scene that that Jack Nicholson-ness got in the way for me. And it felt like just like, you know, I don't know, just it, yeah. it didn't feel real. Yeah, no, it, it seemed like an impression to you in those right. scenes as opposed to an authentic performance. As and opposed then, to just channeling the energy. Right, right. And and I guess the director worked with him about trying to avoid that. And he would say, like, hey, Christian, you know, you're getting a little getting a little too much like Jack, like rein it in. And I guess Christian Slater would sometimes reply that that's just like how I talk. So there is a part of it that is just him. And I was thinking of another for me, iconic Christian Slater performance, ironically, when he's playing himself yet again, but is in Curb Your Enthusiasm, when he's the person who overserves themselves caviar at a party, and he's just playing himself as this kind of gluttonous caviar person. And uh, just watching him play himself in these scenes, even if there are amplified jokey versions, he does kind of talk like Jack Nicholson. Like there is an element that, that's just his accent. That's kind of how he talks. Yeah. And I'm not saying he's he's ripping Jack Nicholson off in who he is as a human. Yeah. I'm just saying I think it's a funny coincidence. And then for this role, I think he was trying to tap into it more aggressively. And it sure. is very apparent, I think. Yeah. And I mean, this is kind of the height of Jack Nicholson leaning into the Nicholson-ness of it. You know, like the year before this, Witches of Eastwick comes out, which is maybe the most Nicholson of all Nicholson performances. Never seen it, dude. Is that a contender? Oh, I love that movie so much. It's a weird fucking movie. I don't know if you'd be into it, but... Dude, uh, it sounds like a great contender. Jack Nicholson That's... playing the devil. Oh, it's great. The Nicholson comparisons are easy to make and they seem so obvious to me now, but I did not view them as cheap. And I did kind of like his sort of, he kind of leans into his words and whispers them a little and kind of forces you to lean in also. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, wait, what did he say? He's always got that kind of like, downturned head yeah, and the arched exactly. eyebrow and yeah. And, and, and we were, you mentioned earlier how there are varying degrees of success in Heather's about, people who know what type of movie they're in and are delivering the words and others who are maybe in your estimation, falling a little short. He's someone who I think plays with the marbles really well. Like the words in his hand that he's kind of articulating and fooling around with. Like I think of a scene like early on when the bullies in the high school, like at pretty much at his character's introduction confront him they call him a kind of homophobic slur and like, you know, we're not allowed here. And he's just like open door policy for assholes. So it seems or something like that. And he's like, 
so he really is kind of jingling the coins in his pocket a little bit and mm-hmm. i like it a lot like he's he's good in that way i think i think he's at his best in this movie when he gets more unhinged like mm-hmm. when he when you start later, seeing later on, him yeah when you start seeing him for who he actually is you know i mean i mentioned a scene from this kind of part of the movie that i didn't like but i think generally like especially the scenes with him and Winona where she's starting to balk at the the violence and and doesn't want to take part anymore and he's pushing back and he's like you'll come back like that that kind of stuff when he's doing that it really works for me um and it feels like its own thing as opposed to an impression he's he is good in those scenes man he yeah. really he really is and I don't know I like him and to think that the fact that he was 19 18 whatever the fuck you said he was 19, when he made this yeah. like he has an element of swag that he's infusing into the character that works and it makes sense. What did you think of the way this is not so much a performance, it's more cinematography, but the use of blue with his character seemed incredibly intentional. He's often filmed in blue light kind of reflecting off of his hair or profiling him or whatever. I don't know what was trying to be said or what could be said about what they were saying, but it was very specific and he he looks good in blue he does I think. <laughs> yeah you know i don't i don't know what that's necessarily denoting i mean i definitely know that like early on in the movie they're using blue as a color for veronica um you know within the the group of of uh, uh heathers and her you know you've got a, a girl who's represented by green a girl who's represented by red a girl who's represented by i think I want to say yellow, yellow maybe. maybe. Yep. Yeah, I think so. Um, the one who tries to take blue. the pills. Yeah. The girl who tries to take the pills in the bathroom is yellow, as I recall. Correct. Yeah, I think that's correct. But um, but there there's a distinct use of blue for Veronica. So I don't know if like that's connected and maybe they're showing. Maybe it is. Yeah, yeah. maybe it is. That's the only thing I can think of. But in any case, I, I, I think they do a good job with that character specifically of... I just I, I think that character is better fleshed out in terms of I understand that character more than I do the Veronica character in terms of the motivations and like why they're doing what they're doing because he's he's just a crazy person. He wants to kill people. As we're kind of kicking this movie around, I feel like I'm losing sight a little bit about how silly this movie is. It's it's so ridiculous. Well, we'll get to and it in the I, quote I section, love. but the cops oh are a perfect example of that. Oh my God, are they ever. So funny, just smoking weed for no reason. Um, anything else you wanted to say about Slater? Um, no, no, I think overall I really like him in this movie. Like I said, I, I appreciate him in the way that he understands who he is. And I don't know, the more I think about it, I don't know. True romance sounds like a good option for today. We'll see. see. I would be very excited because I've only seen it once. It was a long time ago. It was not what I was expecting. I've been wanting to revisit it, and I forgot that Slater was in it. Well, if we're done with kind of the premiere performances, so to speak, as we round the corner on Heathers, are there any kind of notes or scenes that jumped out to you, quotes, anything like that that you want to hit before we kind of wrap this movie up? As I mentioned, second viewing of this movie, I really was getting a lot more of a kick out of some of the dialogue in this movie. And 
One that I want to start by highlighting is the principal of the school and the two scenes that oh they give us of the the, the board, you know, the, or whatever, the teachers and the, the vice yeah, principal the, and the principal. <laughs> when they're getting together talking about what do we do about this, he has some lines in that that absolutely fucking destroyed me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the one the one hippie teacher who is like advocating for uh you togetherness know kind of ha- togetherness and, and having a kumbaya and, kind of you know thing yeah. like <laughs> and she goes on this rant about like I'm disgusted by your reactions to this like we need to to you know embrace this moment and blah 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 and he fin- after she's finished he responds by saying thank you miss fleming you call me when the shuttle lands <laughs> Did you recognize him, by the way? No. Was is he in? Do you stuff? know he is in a major influential movie of our lifetime, Social Network. Holy shit! What part? He's the lawyer. He's the lawyer for uh, for the Winkle. You are bosses. being sued in federal court yes. for this. Blah, blah. Yeah, exactly. Oh man, I need he's to rewatch guy. just to see that he's scene like, now. Mr. Winkle, this is the first time. Yeah, he's awesome. And and when I saw him, I was like, holy shit, he didn't age. He's heavily featured like, in the trailer. Yeah. There's like 15 years in between the movies, if not more. And he didn't seem to age a day. He looks the exact same age at both this and that. So yeah, he's, he's got, got a great voice, dude. Great. Uh, he has an amazing sound. Amazing voice. delivery. And he knows exactly how to pitch those lines to make them yes. land. And I'll just I'll 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 plant a little seed. One of my quotes is a line that he delivers as well, but not the one you said so far. Well, can I say the other one? Because please I, do, please I, do. I'm ready for it. So fire away. I, I pulled this from IMDb. I didn't realize this character's name, but apparently one of the characters is uh, uh, the school counselor, and his name is Paul. And he and he oh yeah he is reacting to the hippie woman again. And the counselor goes, Pauline, he's like about to just be like a naysayer. And the principal interrupts him and he goes, shut up, Paul. Now I've seen a lot of bullshit. Angel dust, switchblades, sexually perverse photography exhibits involving tennis rackets. But this suicide thing, guess that's more on Pauline's wavelength. Well, we're just going to write off today. Uh, and on Friday, she can hold, can hold her little love in or whatever, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I... Spoiler has been exposed. Shut that up, was, Paul. That was just shut up, Paul. And also, flowing from Pauline is really funny. Let's not let's not like take that writing credit. No, out, yeah. Like to go from Paul to Pauline or vice versa. One of my biggest shout outs, which we'll get to, is the editing in this film, and there are inc- unbelievably funny comedic editing choices just in the scene that we're talking about mm-hmm. of just like it, like when he says the tennis rackets thing it cuts to this woman who's sitting there at the table and i cannot tell if her expression is yet yeah, yet yeah, we've all been there or what the fuck is he talking about like it's perfectly her expression splits the difference beautifully it's so funny and it, <laughs> it oh god but yeah his voice and his delivery and the absurdity of the words all cook up together to be beautiful, man. Just the way he says shut up, Paul, will stick in my brain for the rest of my life. It, I don't know what it is. It's just funny. All right, hit me with one of your favorites. I really like the hypothetical question that is early in the film, right? 
like the whole five million dollars, but aliens land and they're going to destroy the world in two days deal. I love that question because, as you know, Drew, I am a fan of hypothetical questions and I love how it reveals people's character and nature in the framework of this movie. And like people are talking about investing it. And it's like, are you listening, asshole? Like the world is going to be destroyed in two days. But more specifically in that scene, I want to go back to, again, the editing. Like, the way it cuts between the different cliques of the high school answering the question, whether it's the stoners, the finance bros, the jocks, the geeks, whatever. It's it's very kinetic. It's very jarring jumping from thing to thing. But it really flows and is really effortless to me. And I think the editing in this film is really, really underrated. Like, I really like a lot of the choices they make here. And a scene like that, as silly as like a hypothetical question is, it's a great exhibit for jumping around to the different kind of casts of this society. Like, this is a movie about, to some degree, high school society tears. And I like that sort of jockeying around between uh, different groups and how they feel this question. I love how shitty the party looks that they end up going to in the beginning of the movie the frat party that like heather is like you should be so lucky i got you into this party and it's like fucking wood paneling on the walls it's like the worst party you've ever seen and one of my favorite visual jokes in the film which is saying a lot is when the guy kind of talks heather into giving him a blowjob and she goes down and unzips the pants and it pans up to that old advert we used to see of the master disc, the guy getting blown away by the sonic force of the stereo he's listening to. Mm-hmm. That joke as a visual gag just worked so fucking well for me. I thought it was so funny. And again, the movie had so much of that shit in it. Yeah, no, it definitely does. Like uh, the visual gags in this movie are, are really solid. But we need to get to the cops because we've talked about them a couple of yes, times and they are so the fucking cops. funny. You mentioned already that like the first time it cuts to them in the car, they're smoking weed, which is funny in and of itself. Those two, I think, this is what I'm talking about, the tonality of the movie. Like, it, It's jarring in that those characters are so absurd and so overtly comedic that it feels a little bit out of a different movie, but I loved it on second viewing. It was so fucking funny. The way that the one guy, after he hears the second gunshot in the woods, and he's like, no, I definitely heard it that time. And the the way the other guy in the car goes, oh shit, let's roll. Yeah, it's <laughs> so funny. And it, it sounds exactly like something a stoned person would say in that scenario. For sure. Dude, it's just occurring to me now this performance must have been hugely impactful to Bill Hader and Seth Rogen in Superbad. Like, where they're playing these cops, Whoa. like, it's like so similar, right? That blew my of mind. Just, like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. My favorite visual gag is one of the cops after the shooting, right? He takes a stick and picks up the gun through the loophole of the holster of the uh, trigger. And then he grabs, takes his hand and grabs the gun. And it's to me is such a funny joke because he's going through all these steps to not put his fingerprints on the gun. And then he just grabs the gun. And I just like shit like that. This movie has so much stuff in it that I was just howling at 
Like, it's just like so unexpected. This movie does whatever it wants. And I tend to love movies like that. Yeah. But look, like, I do want to highlight here, like, the contrasting tones of that and Martha walking into traffic are like, that's what I'm talking about, where it's like, I don't know if you've, you've, know what movie you are. Right. But, but isn't that good, though? That it, it, the movie twists you up so much and like takes you to this funny point, but then you're also, being serious like, look that's, that's i mean i think sweet. that can be done with a really deft hand we've brought up quentin tarantino in the past and my favorite tarantino movie is inglorious bastards and i think well, that you haven't movie, seen hateful eight yet you haven't seen hateful eight I yet know. i have a hard time believing that that would dislodge inglorious bastards or pulp Dude, fiction that movie which are my is so fucking good i can't wait for you to see that i'll, I'll watch it eventually and maybe that goes put on the board it, you tonight. better Who put knows? it on the board it doesn't need to be tonight but I I want us talking about that film. Okay. I, I actually just a little it. packed right now. Do me a personal favor. Do not watch that movie off of the board. You got. I want to. I want to share that with you because I I love that film, and think it would be a really fun conversation. But anyway, th- not what you were saying. No, but what I was saying is just that the tonal balance of Inglorious Bastards works completely for me, and. Going back to talking about Brad Pitt, his performance in that movie is cartoonish. And same thing with with Mike Myers. But they feel like they still jive perfectly with the same movie as Christoph Waltz hunting down Jews and like this, uh, you know, the whole, the drama of Melanie Loren's performance in that where she's like, traumatized and trying to murder Nazis to get back at them for killing her family. Like that's in the same movie as these cartoonish, you know, performances from uh, Brad Pitt and Mike Myers, but it feels so much more tuned and dialed to the point where those can exist within the same two and a half hours and not feel like they're from different movies. Whereas this movie to me, I feel like I'm watching 10 different movies throughout it. And that and look, like that's fun in its own way. Don't get me wrong. I get what you're saying. And I understand why that's appealing to some people. It, look, going back to it's, it's I think some of this connects to Repo Man where it's like I I see why people like this thing, but for me it's just not linking up yeah. the way I want it to. Right. But Repo Man was 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 your crazy pills movie where you were out on an island and you were like, wait, what is wrong with me? Everybody seems to love this movie. I do not vibe with it at all. And I want to be clear, this is not on that level at all. No. Because there's a lot more that I love about this movie yeah. than that movie. But um, It's so funny. It is just funny to me because, like, I mean, like, again, like, I went on Letterboxd uh, after I watched this and, like, all of these amazing film critics and and you know film personalities that I love and that I trust their opinion and respect their opinion were giving this movie five stars and four and a half Heathers, stars. You're saying? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I'm like, I feel like I'm I watched a different movie. And as yeah. much as I enjoyed large bits of this movie, I don't think it holds together on any level. Yeah. See, I I got so siphoned into. It's so aggressively going against my expectations. That's that's what I think I loved so much about this film. Again, when I selected it for the board and when we ended up watching it, I didn't know what I was getting into. And I thought 
as it started and we had the first five, 10 minutes, I was like, this better fucking not be mean girls with some goofy shots. It's like, that's not what I'm in the mood for. I'll watch this movie. I'll, I'll get through it. Is, it. Mean girls definitely took a lot of influence. For sure. And, and I actually, it's funny. I wanted to talk about high school movies in general, but we kind of breezed over it. And we're yeah. beyond it. But, no, but we can talk about it. Mean Girls is the Heather's 16 Candles of our generation, I would say. It is It is the movie that it attempted to define our time in high school. And I mean, hey, Tina Fey wrote that movie. Like, it, it's a good movie. Dude, that anyway, script, I think, is brilliant. That movie, it's, it's that movie really deserves good. to be considered a classic. But when I put it on, I was nervous that Taika and Victoria led me astray. That I was just going to be watching some '80s high school movie, and it so efficiently proved me wrong at every turn. And when it just opened up the box of absurdity, and just was so inviting to towards nonsense mm-hmm. i just really found like i loved it i did have a couple other things i wanted to hit too before we. well of... going back to quotes yeah give me give me another quote give me a fresh quote my Anything favorite quote of the whole movie is said by a character that only comes in for this this one line literally i think they, this actor probably was only on set for a single shot like a single framing and it's a, a random student that pops in right after uh, the two football players are killed, uh, Kurt and Ram. And the, the character runs up to the Heathers, I think it is at this point, the, the remaining Heathers. Plus um, Veronica, I think. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe no, it's maybe, the three maybe just No, I think you're right. I think Veronica's in the car then. Yeah, I think she's in the car with Christian Slater. And um, But the, the quote is, did you hear? School's canceled today because Kurt and Ram killed themselves in a repressed homosexual suicide pact. Dude, that line fucking split me in half, dude. So funny. So funny. Talk about perfect, like you're saying, perfect comedic delivery. Like, like an plays actor... Plays it straight. Plays it straight. They get it. They get the humor there. The The humor in that bit is both the complexity of the words and the darkness of the situation and that this person is happy to be off of school exactly no no and it's so funny the delivery is perfect it's It's pitch perfect perfect. because the girl who delivers it is delivering it in this happy tone that is just so contradictory to what she's saying so funny dude i just i love the way that she says repressed homosexual suicide pact it's so that sequence of words i've never i'll never hear anything like that again crushes it out of the park literally Great she line. could have been on set for all of an hour to make yeah. that part but it just sails it over the fence yeah and also let's not forget too the reaction of no way is so funny which is like also no, really well great. played well we've been recording well over the runtime of the crazy movie. dude crazy so dude crazy. are any other things that you uh, want to highlight before we wrap up here yeah, a couple of things. A couple of things I wanted to hit before we get out of here. There are very strange shots in this film. There's little like, choices like that. Yeah, and actually reminded me a lot of like a bottle rockets or other sort of kind of very quirky framing choices that are right up in people's face at a moment you would not expect to be up and close and personal. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. So I really ended up liking those editing and, and shot choices. We I don't think we want to go into it any further, but we did talk about media's obsession with the dark and the perverse. And and not just media. It's not a flaw with the media. It's human nature. We have we have a perverse interest in the things that are dark. And I do think this movie highlights that in a really healthy way of like kind of calling a spade a spade. And it's like it's kind of fucked to get so interested in teen suicide statistics. And it's like let alone the the fact that teen suicides happen. People getting interested about this is just bizarre. And the movie I think really mines that territory I thought really well, well yeah I mean we recently brought up the the hippie teacher character yeah. but that character like takes advantage of the situation and makes herself a star on TV yeah you know in in totally her, you know the, like the movie is not letting any of these people off the hook they're all mm-hmm. in it for their own gain in some way yeah yeah absolutely I think that's really well said like it's making fun of everyone and saying that like everyone is to blame as well. Really, the only character that doesn't have any of that kind of undercutting of of their motivations or their their you know uh, morality is the Martha character. I think that's the only character in the movie that f- the movie fully sympathizes with. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, I agree. And even though I understand your complicated relationships with the with the ending of this movie and the fact that Veronica gets some redemption. I do really like that scene of her befriending Martha and like being like, Hey, let's yeah. Uh, Second to last one is at one point after Christian Slater walks in and witnesses the hanging that Winona Ryder has faked. And then it's afterwards after she's confronting him and he thought he was, she was dead. He says, I knew that loose was too noose. And then he corrects himself and says, I mean, you know, Deuce was too loose. It's such an organic mistake to make, and it's captured in such a young filmmaker way that I couldn't tell if it was intentional or not. What do you like, mean are we by talking, a young filmmaker way? Like I always think of. So I had heard that in Boogie Nights, ass in her cock in the driveway was a mistake, and that William H Macy always said his lines right. But this one time fucked up or and once or twice fucked up and PTA found it really funny and kept it in the movie. Like said, he has an ass in her cock. The way it's shot, it doesn't look like a perfect refined take. And he says, I knew that loose was too noose. So you don't know if Slater just rolled with it in the moment. I think it was a genuine mistake in his reading of the line that they were like, that's great. Let's keep it in. But he's stating my character impression. is my point. He's stayed in character. Yes, he stays in character and he corrects it. Yeah, I don't know. I wonder if that's a mistake or not. I mean, I, yeah. I do like that kind of stuff. It's funny. I had a weird I, I had a different memory of the Boogie Night scene you're talking about where that was something that Bill Macy kept fucking up in in like rehearsals mm-hmm. and, and table reads. And they just oh, kept it maybe. because it was it was something that Anderson just liked the musicality of it better. Might be. Might be. But uh, either way. And then the last question I have for you, Drew, is croquet a good game? 
I don't know if I have a frame of reference on Croquet to really judge whether it's a game that deserves to be depicted on film, but for me, there was way too much Croquet. What way was too that? Much Did you fart? That was a fart. Ooh. I'm falling apart, dude. I'm falling apart. <laughs> that registered on the mic. Yeah, I saw the meters splitting around, man. <laughs> dude, I had too much wine. I have Chinese food in the other room. We got to call this bitch. Are we done? Are we done with uh, Heathers? We're done with Heathers. Let's wrap all it right, up. All right, all right. So that was our thought on Heathers. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. Christ. But in, in, in a non-feigned interest, it is Drew Clark's week for a nomination to the board. We are replacing number 11 with a new candidate. Drew, do you have candidates? Do you have contenders? Do you have a strong idea? You know, this might be a first on the show. I don't remember if you've done this before, but we've had too many good contenders mentioned on this episode for me not to pick one of them. Mm. The two that stick out for me, I mean, we've mentioned a bunch of movies that would be make for good dartboard editions, but the two that stick out for me and the two that I really am considering are... True Romance and The Hateful Eight. Oh, I know where my heart is. I know I'm gonna where keep your quiet. heart is, too. I'm going to be quiet. I want you to make this choice. It's not Look, my choice. It's yours. Early on in the show, my inclination was True Romance just because there's a lot of great reasons to watch that movie, as we mentioned. And at the back end, this this dark horse just snuck in of Hateful Eight. And, and you're absolutely right that it is a perfect dartboard selection in that it's a movie that I just, I don't know if I'm going to get to it otherwise. Mm. And I think for that reason, I'm going Hateful Eight. It is the only Tarantino movie I haven't seen. It's got to happen. It's a shamer. It's a, it's a massive cross. As a big you. Tarantino fan, it's a shamer. I am very excited. This is the choice. You feel good about it? We're going with it. It's already. I written fucking in. I love this choice, dude. I'm so glad you picked it. I still hope you put True Romance up one day. It'll happen. It'll happen. But for now, Hateful Eight is going in at number eleven. Let's do a recap of where we sit currently. Fuck yeah, dude. Number one, you can count on me. Number two, Ex Machina. Number three, The Right Stuff. Number four, The Big Sleep. Number five, Operation Condor. Number six, Anomalisa. Number seven, Amadeus. Number eight, The Fifth Element. Number nine, Days of Heaven. Number 10, The Limey. Number 11, The Hateful Eight. Number 12, The Straight Story. Number 13, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. Number 14, Schindler's List. Number 15, The Friends of Eddie Coyle. Number 16, Dirty Harry. Number 17, The Blair Witch Project number 18 waking life number 19 face off and number 20 the terminator Terminator. you were distracting as fuck in my video window on this uh, it was like fucking arms dude you crushed it man you <laughs> did such a good job just bumping the whole fucking yeah dude time. i was doing like running man type. have you ever seen running man by the way <laughs> no that's another great schwarzenegger movie is running all man. right but. go throw the fucking dart all right i'm throwing the dart i'm throwing the dart <laughs> The dart has spoken. What's it got this week? Eight. Back in the single digits, and it's one that you've mentioned really wanting to revisit. It's the fifth element. Oh, my God. I did not know what it was. I knew it was obviously single digit, and I'm excited to hit it. 
I did not know it was Fifth Element. So you have never seen this film, correct? Never seen this movie. You know, we we covered a Bruce Willis movie last week, so that we're getting a little more Bruce Willis. Cool, dude. I love it. We're, you know, getting kind of gonzo, big sci-fi action. I'm excited, man. I, this is one that, yeah, it's a shamer for me. I mean, I, more and more, I am loading this board with shamers for myself because I just need to check these off. Yeah. No, dude, I am so excited. It's been one when you put it on. I've been very excited for us to get to, like you mentioned. And, you know, we'll save our experiences with this film prior to watching it. Like, I've seen it before. Save that for next week. I'm excited to hear what you knew about this before you saw it. Definitely. No, yeah. So glad we hit it, dude. Dude, it's been a while. I mean, the last time we hit number eight was episode 17, Alan Partridge. So that's where I put this on the board. Dude, funny because we gave that movie a shout out tonight. Like, it's pretty good, man. The dart. The dart works in mysterious ways, dude. But I'm so glad we hit the fifth element and looking forward to it next week, dude. Absolutely. I'm breaking your two streak, but that's okay. Next week, we are covering the fifth element. For now, that'll that'll do it on our episode of Heathers. Thank you so much for listening. Please remember to rate, review, and give us a follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. If you want to keep in touch or give us a recommendation, drop us a line at dartboardmovienight at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at dartboardmovienight. Artwork for the show was created by Veronica Roman, and all of our music is by Eric Williams. Play us out, Eric. Sorry, Mark. Later. Cocaine um, soft rock enthusiast Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> <laughs> Alan Partridge reference for those who didn't uh, watch that movie or that episode. You don't even need to check Go out that episode that we did. Watch that fucking movie, dude. It is so funny. Yeah, if you don't Alan like Partridge, what we're, Alpha if, Papa. if this is the only episode you're listening to right now and you're like, I fucking hate these guys. I'm never going to listen to another episode. Don't bother with what, listening to our episode, but please watch Just Alan Partridge. Watch Alan Partridge. So funny.